Okay, as we come to look at God's Word together, I'm going to read from three separate sections of the Scriptures that Christoph's going to be looking at later. So rather than flick back and forward, I'm going to encourage you just to listen to these three short passages. In the Book by Book Club that some of us have been a part of this year, we've been looking at the story of Samuel. And as Samuel was learning to listen to God's Word, uh, old Eli gave him some great advice, and he told him what to say when he felt that God was speaking to him. He taught him to say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And I want that to be our prayer now as we turn to the Scriptures. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. First of all, from the prophet Isaiah in chapter 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. And then in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, Jesus says this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In Matthew chapter 5, he says this, You're the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its saltiness, how can it make salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You're the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Amen. Before Christoph comes to preach, let's remember that we cannot hear this word from the Lord unless the Holy Spirit opens our eyes. Otherwise, we're prone to filter out and explain away and qualify and dilute. So let's be sure we're ready to hear. Paul writes in Ephesians 1, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you might know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. So let's sing, open the eyes of our heart, and then Christoph will come and speak to us. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you, Monty, for your leading, and uh, to our musicians. When I came in this morning, Brian greeted me at the door and he wanted to check with me about the, the sabbatical, the summer holiday and sabbatical that we have planned. He wanted to check that I wouldn't be around over the summer, particularly towards the end of the World Cup. Um, and I thought that, that's uh, most unkind. Brian, he seems to remember that four years ago when Germany won the World Cup that I gloated about that. I, I have no memory of that at all. No? I think I remember on one occasion uh, towards the end of the summer, a lot of us had been away over the summer, and I simply, um, 
the way I remember it, I think I, I said to the congregation at the end of August or maybe early September, a lot of us haven't seen each other over the summer. You maybe haven't had a chance to congratulate me. Uh, I'll be on the door. And, and, that, and I think that's, that was it, really. Um, I, I'm conscious this year that Northern Ireland aren't going to the World Cup, um, but that there's a, a lovely relationship that has been growing between uh, the Northern Ireland fans and the Germany fans. So if you're looking for a team to support, you know, consider the, the BAWA, the Black and White Army, uh, and see if you can throw your support in behind them. Uh, I hope you enjoy the, the tournament when it starts this week. Um, we are finishing today the series that we started uh, a few weeks ago, um, looking at the, the question of sex and sexuality. And as we come to the end of this series, I want to say a couple of very general things. Um, that have become clear to me uh, over these last few weeks, and then we'll, we'll deal with a, a question. I think that's maybe a good way to, to close this uh, topic off. First of all, I want to say that we haven't been able to say everything that we would like to have been able to say on the subjects of sex and sexuality, of marriage, singleness, gender, transgender, pornography, homosexuality. Even as I start to, to list those issues, uh, you'll see that there's a, an awful lot there. So I'm very much aware that we haven't been able to answer all of your questions. And I know that some people have very particular questions. Some people have been in touch with me uh, to, to get a chance to talk those through, and I really appreciate that. If you're somebody here today who's heard something uh, over these last weeks as I've spoken, or Stephen or Richie, uh, and, and you'd like to chat further about that, please know that there's an open door. Uh, come and uh, speak to me, or uh, Richie's not here, obviously, but Stephen is. Uh, come and speak to us, and uh, we'll take those conversations further. A second thing I'd say about this series on sex and sexuality is that it feels to me even on this Sunday as we finish it, it feels more like a first word rather than the last word. It feels like the topic is one... There might have been a time when you could deal with a topic like this and then not revisit it because you'd given some clear answers to questions that seemed pretty fixed. That's not the case. If I look at... If I'd tried teaching this series 10 years ago, I wouldn't have had in mind to be thinking about uh, same-sex marriage. I wouldn't have had in mind to be thinking at all about transgender. Um, those issues just hadn't risen uh, and to be as prominent in the culture 10 years ago as they are now. It's possible that in another 10 years' time, there'll be other and different issues that might be important for us to think about. So I'm simply saying maybe this was a first word rather than the last. So, to wrap this up, uh, I want to ask one last question. How should a Bible-believing Christian, somebody who wants to live under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, live in these times that we find ourselves in? Where do we go from here? As soon as I asked that question, I thought, well, where is here exactly? Where, where are we? And, and it's, it's striking. I don't know if you've seen this. Here has changed since we started this series. 
Do you have a sense of that? That in the last six weeks, two months, we've moved again? I, I did something uh, last Saturday, so eight days ago. I, I tend to do this about every three years. I went shopping. Um, so I define shopping as going into more than one shop. Uh, you know, so if you, if you do that where you go to two shops or more in a row, that, that's shopping. I do it about every three years, probably. So I was in Belfast City Centre, and I ended up outside City Hall, and I didn't know that there was a gathering planned there, and it was you know, a big rally uh, campaigning for equal marriage. So that was eight days ago. This Tuesday, I believe it was, there was a debate, a Westminster debate on abortion in Northern Ireland. This is the here that I'm talking about. Where do we go from here? How do we live in these times we find ourselves in in 2018? I suppose the first thing I would say about that is a, a person who believes what the Bible teaches about sex and sexuality, who wants to live under the authority of Scripture and the Lordship of Jesus Christ, I find myself substantially at odds with the culture. For example, to believe the things that I believe, I believe that every human being is created in the image of God. That sounds like a beautiful thing to say, but our culture doesn't believe that. Got to be clear about that. I believe that God intended marriage as a lifelong commitment between one man and one woman. We had these up on the screen on the, the first Sunday of this series. And I believe that marriage is the only proper context for sexual practice. So the events of the last few days have just reinforced to me further that if I continue to, to believe these things and to, to live out of them, I will be further and further out of step with the culture that I find myself in. I have to understand that. And so do you. If you want to continue to hold to the, the biblical teaching on sex and sexuality. If I told you that I found some inspiration for living in these times on a, a rock album, you might be surprised. But if I told you that the, the rock album was the latest uh, U2 album, Songs of Experience, you might be a bit less surprised. It's uh, an album that deals with some of the, the most pressing predicaments in our world today. So Trump's election is referenced there. Uh, it's the end of democracy, they reckon. The refugee crisis is revisited a, a number of times and our own mortality. There's a motif of darkness that runs through a lot of the songs. It's like a sinister thread right through the album. And there's a recognition that these are dark times that we find ourselves in. There's one song called The Blackout, and it has these lines. Statues fall. Democracy is flat on its back, Jack. We had it all, and what we had isn't coming back. A big mouth says the people, they don't want to be free. The blackout. Is this an extinction event we see? Is this the end? Is this an extinction event? The moment where a species is, is ended? So Bono describes this world that we're living in at the moment in terms of darkness, a blackout. 
it's not, not unlike how it feels to be a, a Christian in Belfast wanting to honor God in the areas of sex and sexuality in 2018. The world's gone dark. What are we going to do? Let me suggest three things that might help us to navigate this blackout. A couple of things that we need to accept. So these aren't things we need to do. They're just things we need to accept. And then a third privilege that we can't pass up. First thing we need to accept, we're not in charge any longer. Our problem, I think, at this precise moment as Bible-believing Christians in Northern Ireland is that we've been used to having it our way. We've been used to living in a culture where the law was formed by that same Christian heritage that forms us. We've been used to living in a culture where the laws are ones that we mostly understand. They're the kind of laws we would write ourselves. That law made sense to us. Not anymore. That party is over. We're no longer in charge. If that's a bitter pill to swallow, and I I suspect it is, um, we still have a question, well, what do we do with that? How, How do we live when we're not in charge or when the people in charge no longer recognize us? Well, it seems to me that the the biblical answer is to get on with it. To join in with the first followers of Jesus Christ, the New Testament Christians, who followed Jesus in such a dynamic and world-changing way in a culture that was set against them in, in a thousand different ways. Our calling, if, if this culture moves away from us, continues to move away from what God's calling us to, then we get to join in solidarity with our brothers and sisters around the world who live in countries where they're reviled for the name of Jesus, where they're persecuted because of their desires to honor him and live lives faithful to him. We're no longer in charge sounds like bad news. It sounds like awful news. I wonder if it's great news. We're finally free. No longer this unhealthy marriage between us and the culture. We finally stop trying to control the place, stop trying to run the place, and get on with being a beautiful presence for Jesus. So, a first thing that we need to consider, we're no longer in charge. A second thing we need to accept, that we're not to judge. Um, I'm not really going to do a lot of detailed work in the the passages that Monty read for us, but I'd love you to look at a Bible passage with me quickly. Uh, So, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, page 1147. 1 Corinthians 5.
I found this passage very helpful over the years as I've tried to work out how to live for Jesus in a world that doesn't recognize him. A lot of Paul's first letter to Corinth has to do with particular issues that were going on in the church. Uh, it's not written to us. It's not, it's not general advice. It's, you know, here's how you deal with some of these problems that have arisen. And chapter 5 is like that. But if you look, the NIV gives us a bit of a clue. at The, the heading there, um, they call it, uh, Expel the Immoral Brother. Uh, and really what Paul's saying is, if somebody inside of your church community is unrepentant about their sexual sin, expel them from your community. Now, we might not like that, we might think that that's harsh, but if you read carefully, Paul's motive is for the brother to understand the seriousness of their sin, that they might repent and find themselves uh, wanting to come back uh, to experience God's grace in the community. What I find so helpful about this chapter is what Paul says about how we're to relate to people who aren't part of the community, who are outside of the church. So that's our, our friends, our family members, our colleagues and our neighbors, those who live outside of Christ and his church. Look at verse 9. Paul says, I've written to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral, greedy, or swindlers, or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave the world. Do you see what he's saying? You don't judge people outside of the church. You just don't do it. We're not to judge people outside of Christ. We're not to judge those in same-sex relationships or those campaigning for same-sex marriage. We're not to judge those campaigning for the abortion legislation in Northern Ireland to be changed. We're not to judge people who are transitioning gender or who identify as pansexual or whatever. We're not to judge. Folks, it feels good to judge. I, I understand that. If somebody's different from me or I disagree with someone, we, we all know what that feels like inside. It's tempting to judge, but Paul says don't do it. Folks, it seems to me like it's time that evangelicals in Northern Ireland stopped telling people outside of Christ how they should live. The judgments Paul's talking about here in 1 Corinthians 5, he tells us in verse 11, falls on anyone who is a brother, who calls himself a brother. So we don't judge people outside. We don't talk about them out there. What we do is we hold ourselves and only ourselves to the highest possible standards because we long to, for God to have glory in our lives. And just in case we haven't understood him, Paul reiterates it in verse 12. What business is it of mine to judge those outside of the church? None is the implied answer. Judgment is none of our business. So we're trying to work out how, how to live. Where do we go from here? How do we live in 2018 in the culture we find ourselves in? We accept a couple of things. One, that we're not in charge. And two, that it's not ours to judge. 
those outside the church. And then third, and the final thing, one privilege that we cannot give up, even in these darkest of times, we still get to be the light of the world. Let me take you back to that U2 song, The Blackout, for a second. The chorus offers us a a way, suggests a way in which we might live in these times. When the lights go out, throw yourself about in the darkness where we learn to see. When the lights go out, don't you ever doubt the light that we can really be. Lights are not, lights are made for blackouts. The darker the times, the more the light shines. Folks, we know that the Bible calls us to be light. Um, Monty kindly read a three passages there for us that are, I, I suppose, selections from a, a very long and rich biblical thread. Isaiah's call to God's people, arise and shine for your light has come. Nations will come to your light, kings to the brightness of your dawn. That's what God wanted his people to be. This, this light in the world that people came to like moths to a flame. They didn't do a great job. They didn't do any better at it in Israel than we do nowadays. But that's the calling. And Jesus, when he came, he took on that, that, that robe, that... that um, mantle of Israel's, and he said, I am the light of the world. And, and of course, that's a, a wonderful thing. We know that Jesus is the only one who perfectly fulfills God's call on, on human beings. But then in the final passage we read, the very famous one from Matthew chapter 5, Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, you are the light of the world. The calling never changes. This is who we are. This is who we're to be. Now here's where this gets tricky. These are beautiful images. Who wouldn't want to say, yes, we're the light of the world. Let's be the light of the world. Folks, when I stood in a same-sex marriage rally, among a predominantly gay crowd uh, with other expressions of sexuality, not all of which I understood entirely, uh, all around me, I did not feel like the light of the world. And maybe you don't either. Just now, when you think about these things. These days, the the so-called liberalization agenda around sex gender, abortion, and the like, they are presented as the great path to freedom, the path to the better life. They are the ones who are offering light in a dark place. It's Christian morality that's regarded as a toxic hangover from the dark ages. In the current cultural narrative, it's the activists who are the great dreamers and liberators for humanity, and it's Bible-believing Christians who crush these dreams. So folks, we need to think about this for a second. 
and check in with ourselves what we think about all of this. Do you believe that? I don't. Not as I've thought about it these last years. I don't buy into the dreams that are being offered to the culture these days because they're not big enough for me. I live by way bigger dreams than what's on offer out there. In a culture that's struggling to juggle the rights of the strong and the weak and that's now seeking the the right to end the life of the most vulnerable, we dream bigger. We say that we'll be careful about the kind of life that we create and that we'll aspire to look after any life that God gives us. That's who we are. That's our dream. In a time when 48%, listen to this, 48% of children born today won't have both parents with them by the time of their 16th birthday. 48%. We dream of something bigger and something better than that. We're committed to marriage, to getting married in the first place in a culture where people don't do that anymore, to staying married, and to giving as many as possible of our kids the the well-documented benefits of a stable home. Folks, strong marriages do things. They give kids stability for their emotional and psychological development. They alleviate poverty. They enhance educational outcome. Listen, I know that marriages break down. And I know that we're in a culture that allows for that. We're allowed to split up too if we want. We're allowed to go our separate ways, to put our desires before the desires of our kids and their needs. But we're going to dream bigger. We're going to try and stay together and create communities, create families. Something beautiful for us and for our children. In a culture where women continue to be treated as either objects or trophies, we dream bigger. We dream about becoming a community of men who have learned to love their wives as Christ loved the church, to give their lives for our wives. We aspire to treat every woman in our community with the respect that if she was our sister, because she is in Jesus Christ. In a culture where men are being diminished into Peter Pan figures, destined to play the field in low commitment relationships, one after another after another, until their endless youth ends. Because that's what happens to endless youth. It ends, doesn't it? A few people are nodding. We dream bigger for these men too. We believe for them what they struggle to believe for themselves, that they're loved and that they could love and that they could live lives that grow them rather than diminish them. In a culture of increasing dysphoria, we're going to lead a beautiful rebellion 
We're going to stand down the advertisers who relentlessly tell us everything that's wrong with us so that they can sell us stuff to make it right. We're going to stand them down and we're going to cultivate euphoria. A deep, deep joy in who we are. We're going to live lives of gratitude before our Creator where we say, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. We'll say that whether our bums are too big or our breasts are too small or our nose is too big or we're bald. Fearfully, wonderfully made. That's who we are. Friends, we don't need to be embarrassed about what we think about identity, about sex, about gender, about family, about marriage, about singleness, about any of these things. Not in 2018. This is not a lesser life. This is the greater life by far. And we live in a culture where a heck of a lot of people have lost the courage to believe this. We've got to let them know that there's a way back. Glenn Harrison, the guy who wrote the book that we've relied on a wee bit in this series, we've got to share what we've found for the sake of all those whose lives have been hollowed out by pornography, promiscuity, trafficking, and by the fruitless pursuit of self-fulfillment. We have been given life for the world, and we can't keep it for ourselves. Let's wrap things up, will we? What if we could take all of this to heart, what I've said today? What if we could relinquish our sense of control? We're not in control. What if we could give up our judgmentalism and stop judging the world around us? And what if we stopped believing, or doubting, sorry, that we really are the light of the world? What would happen if we lived like that? Would the culture come flooding right back in and say, wow, this is what we want. We want to come back to God's better story. Is that what would happen? I don't think so. Not today. Not yet. I think this is going to take time. It feels to me like this generation that we are living in just now is experiencing a, a, what I'd call a prodigal son moment. The moment where it rebels against everything that was good at home with the father. The moment where it has to run off to a foreign country, where it has to squander itself on whatever dreams it, it holds in its heart. My sense is that this is what's happening in the culture at the moment, and my sense is it probably needs to happen before there can be any change. But who knows? Maybe one day 
the shine will start to fade on, on the promises of today. The promises of freedom that have offered so much but delivered so little. Maybe the prodigal will one day remember how he once lived by a better story. He'll remember and he'll head for home. Folks, this is where I think we need to position ourselves as the people of God. As somewhere for people to come home to. We need to bring all of our sinfulness and all of our brokenness and lay it before our Father God and say, Lord, forgive us. Remake us. We need to keep growing in his grace to be renewed in his image to allow him to slowly dial up the wattage and to become that light of the world. We need to live this better story. And we need to make sure that anyone, any man or woman or boy or girl who, who turns from that far off land and heads for home, that they'll find us there at the Father's side waiting for them. Waiting to welcome them When the lights go out, don't you ever doubt the light that we can really be. Let's keep some lights on to help people find their way home. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, when we begin to delve a little deeper into some of the questions that we've tried to deal with in this series about sex, sexuality and identity and so on, we realize actually how many of them, how, how all of them have their roots in how we think about you, who you are, how you relate to us, what you think of us and what you long for for us. Lord, I pray that we would not be people who try to control the world around us or judge it for any of its failures, but that rather we'd recognize all of our brokenness, all of our fallenness, weakness, and shame, and we'd ask you to, to forgive us and rescue us from it. Lord, put a joy in this community, a, a light in it, that'll be a, a, a magnet to those around whose hearts are broken, who have chased the promises on offer and found them to be wanting. Lord, I pray that you might use us to draw people back to you, to bring them home. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.